In this episode, I had a conversation with Grace Ann McDonald about shifts in demand gen, the future of B2B, marketing leadership, and a lot more. Grace Ann is the co-founder of Storybook Marketing and has been an expert in demand gen for many years now. So let's dive right into the episode. Let's start with your origin story, get, a, get an idea of where you started, how you first got into marketing, and then we can lean into where you are now, but definitely want to tackle that first part first. Yeah. Contrary to my business partner, Liam, who I believe you've already spoken with, I fell into marketing. He, I think, is probably in the minority category of a lot of folks in marketing today and that he actually went to school for it, um, which I think makes the two of us a really complimentary combo. But I really fell into it, which I think is a lot of people in marketing these days. I say I fell into it really by just following this path of solving problems. So I don't know if any of the folks listening have had experience working at startups, particularly startups in the tech world, but they're chaotic and they require you to have really good problem solving skills. And so I actually started out my career in startups and in tech on the sales side of the house. So I started out as an SDR, I went through a few phases of evolution with that company and with that team, eventually progressing to take over leadership and management of that team. I was responsible for growing it from zero to 10. So I then from SDR management went into RevOps. At the time, the world of RevOps was really developing. It was starting to really take center stage as folks were realizing how important that sort of connective tissue between all of your go-to-market functions was from a technical perspective. I'd done a lot of work, again, solving problems of how are we going to operationalize the efficiency of our SDR team? How are we going to measure it? How are we going to report on it? So I'd done a lot of RevOps-related work already, and I felt that was the direction I wanted to go in. So I went out, took a new role in that direction, worked with that company to essentially architect their whole Salesforce infrastructure and tech from scratch. I did that and I really missed managing teams. And so I wanted to get back into managing SDR teams. So I shifted gears there back into that. And that was two weeks before COVID, which changed a lot for a lot of people. Um, and so the role that I'd initially come into in that capacity was pretty quickly pivoted to somewhat of a more general demand gen revenue marketing role. And that's where I really started to formalize a lot of my experiences previously through the lens of demand gen and really formally got into demand gen. And then from there took on building, rebuilding and scaling out of demand gen functions. And so really I say all that to say, I think my the root of my origin story is really problem solving. On With your sales background, is there anything that you miss that you don't really get on the demand gen side? No, I don't know that there's anything I miss. I think what I really am appreciative of that I have is that sort of dual sales marketing perspective. And I think it's made me a better demand gen marketer, keeping that sales lens central, the, the programs that I have built and run. So when you look back at the start of your career, sales and marketing, demand gen, however you want to look at it, what are the main things that are different now versus then for you? For me, in terms of how I view demand gen. Yeah. And then, and also just things that are like much more important in terms of tactics, strategies, even things like that. But would love to start with just your perception, what's different for you and what you do. Yeah. I think 
I think what's different for all of us is the world changes. Like it, it's a different world today than it was a year ago. Like it's a different, a completely different world than it was to pre-COVID. Like tech in particular has gone through such an evolution in the last six months. Demand gen as well has changed so much in the last six months. And I think, you know, the biggest things that are constantly changing for me too, I look at the things that I do now versus the things that I would have done maybe four or five years ago. And I don't think those same tactics would work anymore. And I, I think there's this, I think that's the challenge in good marketing and good demand gen is like, what are the sort of like fundamentals that we can all align on and that you build your as the foundation of your program, but also knowing that tactics are going to change, the world changes. It's one of the most frustrating parts, I think, about evolving marketing and demand gen programs is that it's like banging your head against a wall sometimes. Like what was working for six months was working great. Just all of a sudden now isn't working anymore. And so I think I, I don't I'd have to think for a second to think back to the like real specific tactics of things that I was doing earlier on in my career versus what I would do now. But I think the main takeaway is don't rest on your laurels. Constantly be learning, constantly be like taking in new information, reassessing your problem, like put your pride and your ego aside. And that while you may be really happy with your program right now, pleased with the performance of it, the world is going to continue to change. And so I think it's a matter of just staying on your toes. Yeah, the constant is change in all of marketing. And I, so when we look forward to the future, we know that things are not going to look the same in five, 10 years as now. But if you take it through that lens of what the future looks like for demand gen, is there a specific thing that is trending right now that you're very excited about? Do you think it will even grow more like a specific strategy or tactic or thing that you're doing that you think is pretty future proof? I think demand gen has definitely become, I think, one of the hot terms in the last year. There's a lot of conversation around it. I think there's a lot of people and teams struggling to crack it. I think there's a lot of like theories and methodologies emerging around it. And what both myself and Liam have really made a point of taking a stance on is that I think, unfortunately, a lot of the theories and things that we're often hearing are overcomplicating demand gen. I think this is the, the trend that I'm most hopeful of going into the future and something that we've really tried to be supportive of is simplifying demand gen. Demand gen is not easy, but it doesn't need to be complex. And he may have shared this with you already. We really believe strongly in this analogy of on-ramps and off-ramps and thinking of your demand gen program through that lens. And so I, my, my hope for the future in terms of future-proofing strategies is simplifying your demand gen strategy and really boiling it down to having clarity in who your audience is, what channels you reach them on, and the content that you need to be serving them based on a variety of different factors, of course. What segment of your audience are you trying to reach? How well do they already understand your brand? There's, of course, various inputs there that are going to change. But I think if you can simplify the pillars that make up the foundation of your demand gen plan, that's what starts to future-proof it as the world changes. Because then your tactics can evolve as the world changes, but you're not needing to take your program down to the studs every six months. So looking at your company specifically and how you think through simplicity, what does your demand gen program look and how has that been simplified? Yeah. 
So, I mean, we we support a number of different clients to manage on programs. And so we have the luxury of having that purview across 5, 10, 15, 20 demand gen programs at a time. And just looking across those in aggregate, what simplifying it really means is back to that idea, that analogy of on-ramps and off-ramps, like taking a step back to think about firstly, understand your program. Know what you've done thus far, what's worked, what hasn't, and why. Approach future strategic planning with clarity. And then what really defines it isn't that understanding of your audience. And so knowing very clearly what segment of your audience you're trying to reach. And and I say that to expand on this traditional definition of ICP. A lot of people are really focused on who's our ICP, what's our ICP, is our ICP here? These people aren't in our ICP. And I think having an ICP is great. It's a really great first step. But within that sort of addressable ICP, where are you at in that product adoption curve? So are you still just capturing sort of the visionaries within that ICP, the people that are willing to take a chance on new and emerging tech? Or have you captured all those? And now you're trying to get that early majority. And as you move along that curve, it's really important to know where you are because certain parts of that curve don't like to take risks. They're only going to move on a tool that feels like it's been widely adopted. There's clear documentation of what, how it works. There's clear case studies. There's reasons for it. They're not going to take a chance the way a visionary might. And so this is what really informs then how the rest of your strategy plays out. So I think that audience understanding piece is so important, along with something that Liam may have mentioned, what we call a demand curve, which is really the spectrum of awareness. And I think this is one of the bigger things that we tend to see is that generating awareness tends to be thought of as a destination. Like once you've done it, it's done and now you move on. But you're never done. The ultimate state of accomplishing awareness is what we call brand preference, which means everyone knows who you are. They understand what you do. They're able to recall your brand and they prefer you over the next best competitor. And that is a state that very few brands and companies ever reach. And so you're never done. You're always in the pursuit of it. But it's important to understand where on that spectrum you are because that's what informs your content and the type of content that you need to be serving that audience across the channels by which you reach them. And so it's those really key inputs of understanding your audience as part of those on-ramps and then those off-ramps being how they choose to begin a sales conversation with you. And it's going to vary from company to company. The most common ones are inbound demo requests or contact forms, outbound events, partnerships, or if you have a PLG motion, like a free trial. And so maximizing those for efficiency, making conversion across those easy, those are like the best things that you can do to simplify the pillars of your strategy. The flip side of, so we talked about the kind of the future of demand gen a little bit. The flip side of this would be what scares you about the future of demand gen? Because you've talked about maybe some things that are exciting, but what does the opposite of that look like for you? Yeah. I think it's not that it scares me, but I do think it's going to get harder than it's ever been. It already is, I, particularly and rightfully so, as a lot of companies' mindsets are really moving towards efficiency. There is this sort of mandate to show efficiency and growth as a company. And again, rightfully, but it makes, it means that you have to be very smart 
with the marketing and the demand decisions that you make and you can't afford sort of guesswork. And there should always be a healthy level of experimentation in any program. And I really do believe that. But I think that sort of threshold for it, I think there's going to be a lot of challenges that come in the next six to 12 months. I think it's going to get harder than it's ever been. And again, not that it scares me, but I think it's going to cause our industry to really have to take a step back. And as many teams are already doing, really look critically at their marketing programs and think about, okay, what are we doing here? Who are we trying to target? What are, how are we doing this? What tactics are we using? Is this working? Like really getting clear on their strategies and the like intentions of them. If you boil what you're saying down to the metrics level, what does that look like in terms of what used to be more important in terms of metrics versus now, if it's going to get harder, what are the new metrics that people care about more? Yeah, I firmly believe that at the end of the day, outcomes are what really matter. And lead gen and MQLs like tend to get a bad rap. And I do think just measuring marketing performance based on leads and MQLs is a very surface level view for the most part. Now, that aside, Liam and I have talked about this before, but sometimes your goal with lead gen efforts is to build up a marketable database. And that if that's your goal, measuring lead quality and lead volume are important metrics. But as you move beyond that, as many teams are now in, your goal as a marketing team, particularly demand gen, is to generate pipeline. And I think meetings for a lot of B2B teams are a stepping stone to pipeline. And so those meetings and pipeline outcomes, I think that's really going to be the shift. And, and most teams are already aware of it and, and measuring it, but I think being less held to MQLs and leads. And it's frustrating and hard because that's a number that we can seemingly more easily influence, or at least I've always felt like we could, whereas meetings and pipeline feel harder to influence. But I do think that those outcomes are going to be more what teams are held to. Yeah, that makes sense. And even diving deeper into this, are there any maybe non-obvious metrics or even qualitative metrics that you look at for your clients that yeah. Maybe it's not like just revenue, but it's something deeper, maybe more, less obvious. Yeah. And these are, they sound obvious as soon as I say them, but I'm still surprised by how many teams don't do this with. So let's take some of those lead level metrics. A lot of teams just measure volume or quantity, but engagement is really important too. Any leads that were generated, how many of them engaged with additional pieces of content? If your goal is to build up leads or to, generate leads to build up a marketable database, how many of them are actually then engaging with your content? So that en engagement layer is a really important qualitative metric in addition to just how many leads were generated. On the outcome side of things, I oftentimes still see teams measuring, let's say, meetings created. But meetings held is a really important metric too. And particularly meetings held by source and that conversion rate of, let's say, this channel or this source generates a ton of meetings for us, but none of them actually hold versus this other channel, 90% of the meetings that are generated actually held. So this is now going to be a way more effective channel for us to invest in because these meetings are actually holding through. Same goes for what translates down from held to converted pipeline and then qualified pipeline. And looking at that on like a source channel level, again, seems obvious. But I still see a lot of teams doing marketing inbound, marketing events, and then like 
sales or like outbound. And I think it's important to get more channel source specific competition for team attribution aside and really honing in on what are the most effective channels there from that conversion standpoint. So you've talked through what you think is the future for a lot of demand gen. Sounds like almost quantity is flipping to now a lot more quality is going to be needed or else companies aren't going to make it. Is that a fair assessment? Or in other words, do you think it's more likely that companies are going to, also going back to your thought on experiments, are companies more likely to do way more experiments and go more surface level across a bunch of experiments or dive into one thing more deeply? Yeah, I think to what you're saying about quantity versus quality, I think it's very much quality, but also efficiency. I think quality is important, but I think efficiency is going to be really important. We're seeing it a lot already where conversations internally are a lot of, I think earlier in the year, budgets will frozen for a lot of folks. Obviously, there's a lot of layoffs. A lot of people are in a wait and see phase. And I think we're starting to come out of that now. And there's a lot more of, as a marketing team, you can get more resources if you can prove that this works. You can prove that this is the right thing. So I think that efficiency component is much more important. And obviously, with proving, it's you got to try it. You got to try it responsibly. You got to see if it works. Then you got to see if it can scale. So I think the challenge there may be resorting backwards to we've done this before. We know how this plays out. We know how this works. And not having that healthy level of experimentation that's going to evolve your program and move your program forward. Because as I said already, it's that balancing act of you can't afford to just throw a bunch of stuff out there and just guess and, as they say, throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. But you still need to have a healthy level of experimentation. You need to have that balance of we're showing efficiency in what we're doing, but we're also experimenting with new things. And I wouldn't, I'd just be throwing a dart at the wall and I was giving a percentage. What part of your program should be that like experimentation percentage? My my gut would say 25% of, maybe not even, maybe like 20% of your program is focused on just trying some stuff responsibly and seeing if it works and then the other the rest of your program you're really confident on how to show efficiency yeah that makes a lot of sense i want to come back to a point you made earlier around how you missed building teams at a certain point in your career and you wanted to get back to that and i want to talk through marketing teams a little bit when you're looking at big mistakes that you see early b2b marketers making what are those mistakes and how can they avoid them Oh, that's such a good question. It really depends on the culture of the company that you're in. And I think not reading that culture correctly and hiring people that maybe aren't aligned with that culture is where I often see folks go wrong. And what I mean by that is particularly in startups and in tech companies, you really need to be able to build a team where everyone can rally around one another and be supportive of ideas. And if you have people pulling in different direction, uh, that's where you start to end up with a disjointed or a siloed program. And I think developing programs that end up being siloed where you have things in these segmented lanes is where Early stage demand gen programs tend to go wrong. And I firmly believe that all functions of demand gen need to 
work together like a well-oiled machine. And I think developing a culture within a team of that rising tides lift all boats mentality. And I think about how each function influences another function and how content influences events and how events influences advertising and the tech stack underpins it all and SDRs amplify events. In my mind, that's how demand gen works together really beautifully and building a team across these functions where that mindset is really shared. When you're like specifically hiring one person, whether it's demand gen, sales, marketing, whatever, do you have a, like any attributes that you specifically look for consistently across people, regardless of their role? Yeah. I, I've always looked for a handful of things. The first one is probably integrity. Being able to understand, get a judge, a, an understanding of someone's character and how they take on responsibilities and take initiative. I think just that integrity overall is really important. I always think about how they're going to make the people, I used to say sitting next to you, but I do a lot of work remotely now, but how they're going to make the people sitting next to them better and how the team's going to be made better, not just by the work that they're contributing, but just by how having them as a person on this team is going to complement the team and make those around them better. Some of the other traits I look for are commitment to the role, that ability to problem solve, seeing through challenges and being able to overcome obstacles and overcome adversity because it's not usually ever just going to be figured out for them. There's going to be a lot of, oh, we got to figure this out in that teamwork mentality. And that those are a lot of core traits I tend to look for. And a lot of those have nothing to do with their marketing or demand gen or SaaS tech experience. I know a lot of folks, and that's not to say that looking for industry-specific experience or trade-specific experience is wrong. When I see a candidate or I speak with a candidate that has all of those other sort of personal attributes and characteristics first, if they also have this other experience, then that's amazing. But I care much more about the person rather than the experience. Last question here, and then we'll drop off. If you were approached by somebody that was just starting out their career in demand gen with no experience and no idea how to build something, a meaningful career, or be good at their job, what is the best advice that you would give that marketer? It's hard to know until you try. And I mean that across marketing tactics, across getting into roles, across starting their career. It's hard to know until you try.